and welcome to this week's Tez FE podcast. My name is Kate Parker and I'm joined by Judy Balgatai. Hello. Hello. Sunny with you in there in Edinburgh? It's always sunny in Edinburgh. I don't think that's the truth. (laughs) (laughs) It's currently sunny in Edinburgh. It's been sunny for a very long time, so long may continue. I hear London is boiling. It is boiling, although it is a little bit cooler today. But I think we're expecting all the thunderstorms later, so that will be fun. Well, there we go. Thunderstorms in this podcast, who knows? Oh, well, yeah, potentially. Um, I mean, I don't know if I I would call it thunderstorms in the um, in the House (laughs) of Lords uh, debates on what day? On Wednesday, but it was interesting, wasn't it? As always, it it was. Yeah, I mean, they are strange these debates because they go through each amendment it it feels very repetitive although there are some really interesting debates kind of hidden in that but you do it does require a little bit of patience sort of you know wading through the information however the debate that we picked out for you this week really was pretty fascinating and uh, a bit different I thought yeah, I mean, it was um, Baroness Bennett of Manor Castle, to give her a full title. She was saying that she thought that life skills should be built in to the bill. So things like, and actually, I think the list of examples she gives is really interesting. So as well as kind of financial management, um, which you see quite a lot of people calling for in schools, financial literacy, that sort of thing, mental health, first aid. She also included parenting um, and practical skills in maintenance and gardening, which I think probably I could have done with some of those in school. Uh, community organising and community participation. So it was quite a, and she calls it herself. She said the, she said herself that the list was scattergun. Um, but yeah, it was interesting, kind of saying that these sorts of life skills are just as valuable as skills, you know, English, maths, languages, geography, history, the kind of traditional things that we teach kids at school. Yeah, and I mean, colleges teach some of these already and you can do, you know, skills for life courses at college and and all of that. But what she was calling for was a kind of much broader thing with even a role for the education secretary and kind of overseeing, making sure that colleges were doing this, which in the end, I think the the kind of debate, the consensus was that probably colleges could decide what what was needed and what wasn't needed. But that's obviously a, a kind of much broader, this is something that, everyone or at least most people should be getting at least some of and it's interesting then as well to hear the lords debate that when you know they kind of compare that with the excellent skills in ancient greek and latin and you know whatever else it is that they have done in their past so uh, so yeah really interesting to see where that where that might go and here is a clip of you um, for you sorry of that debate My Lords, I speak to Amendment 90C that appears in my name, and I apologise to the committee that this is a rather late arriving amendment and large in scope. But it arose from reflections on the earlier stages of the committee's deliberations about the narrow focus of the contributors to the local skills improvement plans, particularly existing employers likely to be larger employers. But as I listened to all of that debate, I was forced to reflect on how very old-fashioned, a very mid-20th century it all felt, even as we were talked about trying to get a wider range of the self-employed and others into the development of the plans. We were talking about getting qualifications for work in a very direct, obvious kind of way. Now, of course, for many roles in society, that may still be the case. Brain surgeons inevitably spring to mind, pun unintended here. But also, if you're likely to be, say, a technician maintaining a copper 
complicated piece of medical technology, massive house qualified building designer or a permaculture garden planner. You may directly do a course and then go and get the job that follows on. But most jobs aren't like that, even if we're thinking about this bill as just being about employment. Most jobs, most lives require a range of technical and soft skills acquired by a mixture of education and training, employment and life experience. I draw here an example of someone I know from the Green Party, and I'm going to anonymise this because I haven't checked with them about using it. started as a volunteer with a set of technical skills, design skills for leaflet and graphics, but through their voluntary involvement was drawn into the management of volunteers, fundraising, administration and management. And that, that led that person eventually into a very different professional job using all of those skills. That's what life's like now in employment and well beyond. And looking at the community side of this amendment, particularly following a decade of austerity, many provisions and services in communities are now provided by volunteers. Now, I'm going to, uh, in interests of politics, part to one side where I think about that. But the fact is those voluntary run often and voluntary led and voluntary provided services need people with skills. And with the increasing pension age, the high levels of employment among women, many of the traditional sources of volunteer skills have been closed off. Having been at a centre of a wide range of community groups in some very different communities, I know how deprived disadvantaged communities, which exist in central London as much as in the north of England, may not have those skills, may urgently need those skills, may need local skills providers to be able to help with them. Now, it's not my intention to move this amendment at this stage, obviously. It's a small gesture towards making this bill about something more comprehensive, about skills for life. And I hope that the government will reflect um, before we get to report stage on the approach to this bill and its very narrow, outdated view of the dividing line between life skills and employment skills, as though those were two separate categories. And just to finally reflect for a moment on my list, which I'll agree is something scattergun, uh, but if you look down the list of things included in this amendment, um, parenting is a skill, of course, in fact, one might perhaps say child and elder care in there as well, because those are roles that all of us may well have to fulfil at some stage. Um, budgeting, um, that reflects, as we often hear in your Lordship's House, about the need for financial literacy in our increasingly complex world. Uh, mental and physical first aid, um, and practical skills in gardening, maintenance. These are things that people will need in their lives. And then the last two sections of this amendment, community organising and community participation, focus on that idea of people as part of a community, as all of us are. So, my lords, uh, it's not my intention to move this amendment, but I really look forward to the discussion and the noble lady, the minister's uh, response um, and I hope this will be fruitful. Thank you. Amendment proposed after Clause 25 insert the new clauses printed on the marshalled list. I'd like to call the next speaker, Lord Aberdeer. My Lords, it has always seemed odd to me that so many of us complete our education <clears throat> with extensive knowledge of maths, English, language and literature, history, languages, the sciences and other academic subjects, uh, in my case, including Latin and Greek, much to my benefit, um, but with few, if any, of the skills in the areas uh, listed in Baroness Bennett's uh, Amendment 90C, nor indeed with other rather fundamental school skills like cooking and household maintenance, 
or generic skills such as communications, teamwork and self-presentation, or even typing and map reading, which may still prove to be not entirely redundant despite the impact of technology. Yet all of these are valuable life skills which schools should be well-placed to teach. One of the skills listed in Baroness Bennett's amendment can even be a matter of life and death, namely first aid. The figures I have, which uh, may not be wholly up to date, indicate that 60,000 people suffer cardiac arrests outside hospital every year in the UK. Almost half of those that occur in a public place are witnessed by bystanders, not infrequently children. With every minute that passes, their chances of survival decrease by about 10%. So teaching children quite straightforward first aid techniques at school, such as how to give CPR or to use a defibrillator, can literally save lives as well as being fun for the learners themselves. The many countries where such teaching is compulsory have significantly better survival rates from shockable cardiac arrest than the UK, as high as 52% in Norway, for example, against 2% to 12% in the UK, depending on where you live. My Lords, I won't labour this specific uh, hobby horse of mine, um, except to say that in my view, it is just one of many strong arguments in support of the need for an assessment of current gaps in the teaching of non-academic but highly valuable life skills and how those gaps might be addressed, as suggested in Amendment 50C. And I look forward to the Minister's uh, comments on how that might be achieved. I'd like to call the next speaker, Lord Watson of Invergowrie. Uh, my Lords, um, we are very much in favour of uh, Amendment 90C uh, and I endorse the remarks of the Noble Baroness, Baroness Bennett in moving it and so too those of uh, the Noble Lord, Lord Aberdeer. Because, my Lord, the life skills set out in the amendment are all essential as building blocks in a developed, compassionate and forward-looking society. Many of these categories would fall under the heading of social solidarity, a concept that, I have to say, is anathema to many in the Conservative Party who still hold to the infamous and utterly fatuous claim by Prime Minister Thatcher that there's no such thing as society. If the past 17 months show us anything, they've graphically described the, uh, the fact that the, uh, society itself has pulled together in ways that perhaps we've not seen before out of wartime. I should make clear that I've seen no evidence that either of the noble baronesses looking after this bill fall under that heading, and I'm perfectly happy to do so. But not accepting that these life skills are necessary in ensuring there are as few local skills gaps as possible once the local uh, skills improvement partnerships are developed would be at best uh, to leave the ministers open to the charge that they do not attach sufficient importance to them. The noble baroness minister in reply will no doubt say they are unnecessary, but... What this government regards as necessary does not correspond with what most people have a right to expect, I believe, in a civilised, advanced society. And yesterday, sadly, provided the latest example of that, with proposals for severe cuts to arts and creative subjects in higher education, uh, which were confirmed by the Office uh, for, for Students. Um, the, uh, the, the government claims that they want to redirect funding for, for high-cost STEM subjects, as well as medicine and healthcare. Now, nobody's denying these are not, of course, important subjects. Indeed, priority subjects. But that doesn't mean that arts and culture subjects are not in themselves important, and they should not be abandoned. Uh, my Lords, um, almost one in eight businesses uh, are creative businesses. 
Two million jobs in the UK as a whole are in the creative sector, worth a staggering total of £111 billion a year to the economy. And yet this government of Philistines is prepared to ignore those huge numbers uh, and to seriously undermine the creative industries, um, which include much more than the arts, which of course are a form of social solidarity in themselves. Yes, film, TV, animation, video games, children's TV, theatres, museums, orchestras are all included, but so too are advertising and marketing, design, graphic, product and fashion, and architecture, and much more. Um, all the more so the, the, the damaging the cuts, which will have the high-cost funding subsidy for creative and arts subjects uh, in university, not next year, uh, my lords, but as soon as September this year, at the start of the new academic term. Um, th that is likely to threaten the viability of arts courses in universities, leading to possible closures, which, of course, may well be the government's ultimate aim. But the university's most vulnerable are those with a higher number of less well-off students, denying young people the kind of opportunities that my uh, noble friend, Baroness Wilcox, made in response to the last uh, debate. And I have to say this, that the attack on culture uh, seems to me to be just the latest example of the government's rather pathetic culture war strategy uh, in, in, in over recent months. And I, I would also have to say that as someone who served at the heart of Theresa May's government, I cannot imagine the noble Baroness, the Minister Baroness Penn, would countenance such de deliberately de divisive uh, uh, nonsense. My Lords, this bill should oblige local skill, uh, skills improvement partnerships to consider the role played by the creative industries locally and ensure they're central to their skills development plans. Equally, they should cover the, the uh, life skills uh, spe specified in the amendment. And for that reason, we are fully in support. And I look forward to hearing the Noble Baroness, the Minister's uh, reply. I'd like to call the next speaker, the Minister of Baroness Penn. My Lords, the government appreciates the importance of all forms of education in improving life chances, both through employment and through meeting broader social goals. For example, recent research from the Workers' Educational Association, a leading adult provider, found that 22% of its students took part in activities to improve their local community as a result of their course. Many of the skills mentioned in the amendment by the Noble Baroness are particularly associated with community learning provision. The objectives of community learning provision are to develop the skills of adults to help them improve their health and well-being, develop stronger communities and progress towards formal learning or employment. And since 2019-20, a significant part of our £230 million funding for community learning has been devolved to mayoral combined authorities and the Greater London Authority. In line with their strategic skills plans, those authorities are shaping education and skills provision, including supporting adults in developing new skills to improve well-being in their local communities. And in May 2021, we announced that up to 7,800 colleges and schools will be able to access senior mental health lead training by March of next year as part of the government's commitment to offer this training to all colleges and state schools by 2025. We are supporting community participation elsewhere in the education system too, through the teaching of citizenship, which is in the secondary school national curriculum, and the programmes of fun, uh, study are directed 
to teaching towards core knowledge of citizenship to help prepare pupils to play a full and active part in our society. At Key Stage 4, pupils will be taught about the different electoral systems in and beyond the United Kingdom and how citizens influence decisions locally, nationally and beyond. Pupils in the school system also currently receive financial education through the maths and citizenship curricula. And to reassure the noble Lord, Lord Aberdare, first aid and uh, CPR are also included within the national curriculum and therefore uh, compulsory in maintained schools and a benchmark in academies and free schools. Improving the responsiveness of provision uh, of the of provision to the skills needs of local learners and potential future uh, learners is already a key part of the proposals in the bill. And I do not accept that the government artificially separates um, employment uh, skills versus social or, or life skills. The new duty set out in Clause 5 would require colleges and designated institutions to review how well the education or training they provide meets local needs and consider what action might be taken to address any local skills gaps. As described in our statutory draft statutory guidance, the needs covered by a review would cover the whole of the institution's education and training offer, including wider social needs of the kind currently addressed through community learning provision. The government's view that is that decisions on how effective provision is meet is in meeting local needs is a judgment that is best reached at a local level by providers working in partnership with both employers and the wider communities that they serve. This duty strengthens that process by establishing a legal framework that will help ensure transparency and consistency, which promotes accountability around decisions on provision that is vital for local communities. Um, and just to speak to uh, the noble Lord Lord uh, Watson's uh, points, the, the government absolutely um, understands the value and importance of the creative industries and is committed to supporting them. Um, we expect this bill will help a vast range of sectors across the economy, including the creative industries, better link up their needs um, with the skills um, that the government is helping to deliver. Um, on the basis of what I've set out, uh, the government's view is that it's not necessary or appropriate for the Secretary of State to seek to prescribe the process for the assessment of the local skills gap mentioned, as is envisaged by the amendment. Indeed, I'd like to uh, acknowledge colleges and other FE institutions for the work they already do to meet the wider needs of their communities and learners and the very positive impacts of their education and training provision. In reviewing their provision under Clause 5, the governing body of a college must do so in a way that considers the needs of all local learners. And as set out in our draft statutory guidance, this is not limited to academic needs or solely the needs of local employers. Um, I therefore hope that the noble Baroness Lady Bennett um, is able to withdraw her amendment and uh, takes some comfort from the fact that the government does acknowledge the importance um, of the kinds of skills um, that she has set out within that amendment, but is seeking to address them both within existing provisions in this bill, but also crucially um, elsewhere in its policy and agenda. 
And I think that leads us quite nicely into um, a feature that we published this week on the different catch-up provision that colleges are putting on um, over the summer. Obviously, there has been much debate about COVID catch-up and students that need it and how it should be funded and what it should look like. And um, we, we knew anecdotally that a few colleges were kind of staying open for summer and putting on different courses for students, um, although it kind of differs college to college with what's offered um, and what funding they've used to pay for it. But one of them, um, London Southeast Colleges, was kind of saying, no matter what funding we get, no matter how it's done, we will do this for our students because we need them to progress I think that's very typical of well, FE yeah. colleges, isn't it? Well, it's the college way, isn't it? And there was, like you say, that you know, catch up is probably the most mentioned word in you know TES coverage of the last few months. But the vast majority of that discussion, as we see so often, has been around what's happening with school aged children, and that's crucial and, and really important. But you know, this doesn't stop being a problem when they turn sixteen, um, and. Therefore, it was no surprise to you or me that colleges were going to be doing what they can. And obviously, the cases that you looked at in what is an excellent piece, I think, uh, were really interesting. I mean, were you were you quite struck by how different the things were? Yeah, were it was. So, obviously, we had um, Leeds City College and their focus was all on the skills for life sort of things that exactly what the Lords are talking about. And you looked north of the border as well to Ayrshire College. Yeah, and Ayrshire were doing... That was just interesting because it was kind of two prongs. So, it was for, coach, for sports coaching students at the college who um, hadn't had any hands-on sports experience the past year. They have opened up a uh, sports club for primary age children. So it's also for the primary children who haven't had any, you know, fresh air or haven't been able to get outside to do any sporting activities over the past year at school. So it was kind of using the college students to give the primary students opportunities that they had missed out on. So I thought that was a really nice way of doing it. Um, and interesting as well that the um, the guy that is leading on it was saying to me that it kind of gives the college um, banked hours of assessment um, and that he kind of said, you know, if there is a lockdown in the future, we've now got eight weeks of filmed assessment. Oh, what do you mean? A lockdown in the future? <laughs> Surely there could be such oh, a thing. Oh, you know. <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen? But yeah, so that's interesting. And then um, London Southeast Colleges, theirs was more about functional skills um, and making sure that um, their students had the fun. We know obviously how crucial it is to get that functional skills in Asso English for many um, who want to progress. So theirs was all about um, yeah, make, like ha- helping students catch up with that. And they were putting on functional skills every single day. So you went, you had your tailor provision, and if you can pass, your, and if you entered for the exam, and you can pass, that you don't have to go anymore. Which I thought was a great incentive. <laughs> for a lot of students because that <laughs> yeah, was compulsory absolutely. that's what in- is interesting as well is that so at, at London South East that was all com- compulsory they had to attend um, whereas with the other two it was kind of up to students whether or not they wanted to and actually I would say turnout is pretty similar um, because I think students do recognise and they've missed going into college they've missed being with people um, so I think they and you like it's hard to go on a summer holiday this year so what a better, what a better way to spend, you know, August. You might as well go to college, be with your friends. Absolutely. Um, so we've got a clip now from Amy Nelson, who is the head of iLearn at Leeds City College. They're the department that um, looks after all the life skills stuff. And she is talking to me about the provision that they're putting on. Kind of main emphasis is 
yes, obviously we push the academic skills and those are hugely important. But we sort of want students to go on to whatever goal they are trying to achieve. And that might not necessarily be an academic goal. So we kind of feel like the academic stuff absolutely has to be supported and pushed and focused. But what about critical thinking? What about reading things about COVID or the vaccine? If they don't have critical thinking skills, how can they make life judgments as these newly forming adults? So they're currently obviously under the care of guardians, parents, education system. But, you know, in the next year, they're going to be out on their own. So these sort of extra skills are, are hugely important in this time, and especially being locked down and away from that support, things like their digital skills, knowing how to find a, a, mentor, you know, a curriculum mentor for their curriculum skills or someone in my team for their sort of their, their referencing or their, um, you know, whatever they need for their academic skills. How can they get that support unless their digital skills are also up to scratch? And so did you guys think, you know, we really need to do something over the summer because we just don't have, we haven't had enough time to kind of get them all up to up to par in term time? Yeah, it was a kind of combination of a few things. Um, we definitely feel because so much of our, our our services were traditionally face-to-face, we couldn't offer, at the start of, uh, of this year, we couldn't offer what we wanted to in this, um, you know, new online um, asynchronous kind of format. And obviously now we've learned huge amounts of lessons and we, are, we had a, a sort of management reshuffle and, and we've got, you know, kind of technical leaders who can kind of bring that to us, you know, in a skill set. But, yeah, we definitely feel that some of our students were feeling worried and feeling stressed and feeling anxious, and we knew that we had the stuff to alleviate that thing, those those feelings going into their next academic year. You know, we had that at our fingertips, so having the opportunity to give them a little bit more time before September comes around to boost and elevate what they have learned. And it hasn't been perfect this year. You know, they, they have got gaps, as every person in this country has. You know, possibly everyone yeah. in the world has got gaps in their lives this year. Um, so, yeah, we definitely kind of knew that we could give them something that we couldn't have given at the start of the year. We've got that ability now. And so how exactly will uh, the camps work? Are you... Is is it just for students who say are staying on at Leeds in September, or have you got students who are kind of leaving the um, leaving the college and going on to something different, taking part as well? Yeah, it's a little combination of a few things there as well. So the skills we're calling um, we're calling it the Island Skills Fest. So yeah. um, the sort of summer camp sounded a bit um, not quite grown up enough. Yeah, we wanted it to make sure that it's a bit of professionalism. They're taking ownership as, as young adults. It, you know, we want it to be more kind of interactive conference style. Mm-hmm. So we are running them primarily for returning students, but we do have some students who are going on to, um, we have an HE provision as well. So some of them are going um, to our, our university centre, which is also part of the Leeds City College group. Um, some of them are going off to other universities. Some of them are coming in. So there, some of them are adults who are coming in um, next year in September and kind of wanted to, um, get a little bit of help and support having having had a gap in education. So it's primarily for returning students, but there is a, a handful of, a, a couple of trips of students who are coming in who haven't followed the, the route this year. And how many students are you expecting? Um... 
Um, it, to be honest, the, the numbers are not as, as high as we were hoping. We were hoping to have, um, you know, great big numbers, but we've got, um, we've got around 40 students um, coming in for a week-long course, um, and we've got six members of staff supporting in them and that. Um, like I said, we were a new department this year, and not being able to be in their classrooms and not having presence on campus definitely kind of a little dink in our side there, but we know that what we can offer is amazing and we have so many returning students. So once they catch on to what we can offer, they really get it and they're really passionate about staying with us. So we're hoping that this cohort will see the benefits in our plan and our hope is that we can continue with this type of skills fest event in, in the future, maybe next summer. Yeah. And so um, over the course of the week, you say it's like a bit more of like a, you know, a, a professional conference. Yeah. So is there kind of a mixture of like speakers and talks and activities and things like how will the actual provision work? Yeah, so we're doing we're running it um, over the five uh, five weekdays and we've split it into five main skill sets. So the Monday is one skill set, which is our digital skills. Tuesday's academic. Wednesday's independent skills. Thursday is our future ready, and Friday is our digital sense, which is digital citizenship. So. And then from there, we're also splitting it into kind of three main sections. So the morning is much more lecture-led, kind of workshop, um, kind of similar to the type of classroom environment that they would have, but we're doing it in large lecture theatres and open spaces. So we're doing some short kind of um, bite-sized pieces, which are only 15-minute introductions to or top-ups. And um, we're running through a range of different skills within each skill set. Then we've got a middle of the day break where it's going to be much more socialising, giving them confidence, um, implementing a few of the skills that they would have learned in the day, some group activities and that kind of thing. And then in the afternoon, we're calling it pick and mix mentoring. So the afternoon is much more bespoke. An individual can come up to one specific member of staff and say, I specifically have a problem with this or um, you mentioned this this morning. I'm not quite sure I understood it, but can we go over it together? But also, we're trying to encourage learners to understand that what they're learning in a classroom or workshop environment actually has life, um, you know, lifelong implications. So we're trying to take some of the skills that they're learning in the morning and kind of put it into almost like real-life situations in the afternoon. So something like they might learn um, on the digital um, skills day, they're learning about modifiers, which are all the sort of, you know, the, when you're doing search terms, the ands and the ors and yeah. the slashes and the double periods and all of that to, to narrow down their searches. In the afternoon, we're having a Google search competition. So they can really go on, you know, we're going to give them a, a celebrity, um, kind of like the game taboo. We're going to give them a celebrity name and certain keywords that they are not allowed to use. And how do they use the other words they're allowed to and their modifiers to get their celebrity at the top hit on Google? And then having a competition about how many attempts it takes and how long it takes. So to really show that it isn't just for, you know, we're not just teaching you this for fun. Yeah. <laughs> we're not just teaching you because we want to tell you, we want to hear our own voices. We're teaching this because it actually has real life implications and, and really kind of going more kind of, Real life, fun, active um, work, you know, sort of, like I say, pick, pick and mix mentoring in that kind of way. And then the afternoon having a closing down activity where we can reflect a bit more. So kind of, you know, a mixture of um, active things, um, interactive things, group stuff, individual stuff, so all, all kind of hitting all, all the different types of learning. And then obviously this week we can't have a podcast without mentioning 
um, a couple of pieces we've got are with Andy Street, the West Midlands mayor. Absolutely. Um, who, you had a good chat with them. I did have a good chat. It was really interesting. It was on the day. My interview with him was scheduled for 6pm on the day that Boris Johnson made the announcement about um, going ahead with stage four. And he was, it's not an issue, he was a couple of minutes late. And I was thinking like, oh, I wonder if he's, um, you know, obviously dealing with, you know, the after effects of that. Because literally the announcement had come like half an hour, maybe even an hour before. And um, when he came on, he obviously apologised profusely for being late. And then um, I said, oh, it's okay. I just assumed that you were, um, that you were like dealing with the announcement. He was like, oh, that's not my announcement. That's Boris Johnson's announcement. I'm here to talk about the West Midlands and skills and you know he was very um <laughs> very animated um he's and very I, passionate about the skills agenda as well isn't he he really is and i think it, it's brilliant if you look at some of the work they're doing you know the skills boot camps that are now going to be um expanded into every region of the country they originated in the west midlands um and you know you've got things like the new institute for technology at dudley college um there's all sorts of stuff that they're doing um, and I think I previously spoke to um, his head of education, Julie um, Nugent, as well about it. And she was just as passionate as him. So I think they have got a really good team in the West Midlands of top people who understand the value of skills. Um, but a key bit that we wanted to um, pull out of that for you to listen to, is just a really nice section where he talks to me about the teacher that he says changed his life. Um, Jack Cook, his name was, and he was his first economics teacher. So have a listen to this. I was sort of not the most brilliant student, if I'm very honest, a bit lazy. I was more interested in sort of messing about in my friends uh, till I was about 16. And then um, it was a teacher who changed my life. And um, uh, you remember when Tony Blair was prime minister and they were recruiting teachers and he did that whole set of adverts about teachers change lives. It was genuinely true in my case. And I was 16 and I met an economics teacher. And in those days, economics was a newfangled thing, you know, for a traditional school in Birmingham. This was, uh, this was all very uncertain. But it was absolutely uh, the making of me as a student, really, because uh, I just was fascinated by it. And I was, this, this chap just excited me suddenly. For the first time, I'd really, really been excited by um, a subject so I did that for my A-levels. Um, what was his name? Do you remember? His name, of course I do. His name was Jack Cook. Very simple name. He was from Sheffield. Um, and uh, he was here. And uh, uh, yeah, he was my school's first economics teacher. And he, he was brilliant because that was 1979. And of course, that was a very difficult time economically here in the Midlands. And of course, we had Margaret Thatcher's monetarist uh, experiment so it wasn't just like a sort of uh, an academic subject. This was real life being played out. And um, uh, that's why I think it was so exciting uh, to me, really. So, yeah, Jack. So I owe Jack a great deal, actually, because if it hadn't been for Jack, I definitely wouldn't have gone to Oxford. And then probably the rest of what I did wouldn't have happened. So, yeah, Jack, um, yeah, it's true. Teachers change lives. There you go. Teachers change lives. You've heard it from Andy Street, just in case you didn't. Just in case you weren't aware of that. Isn't that amazing how everyone has a story like that? You know, it really doesn't matter who you speak to. If if you prod a little bit, there's always a teacher there who made a real change. Yeah, yeah. And it's nice. Like he said, he wouldn't have, he doesn't think he'd be where he is today if it wasn't for that politics teacher. So I think 
yeah, it was just a really, really good chat, really nice interview. And there's a lot of other stuff in there as well that I would really encourage to read, especially there's a lot of stuff around um, the local skills partnerships. Yeah, and anyone with any interest in kind of, you know, devolved education budgets or Andy Street as a person or, you know, any of that kind of stuff, where might we be headed with with FE policy? Uh, Do have a read of that that profile. Yeah, exactly. And we'll leave it for there today. But hopefully all of you are now on your summer holidays, apart from those who are in colleges helping kids catch up. But either way, enjoy. Enjoy. But either way, you know, we hope that you are getting a bit of a rest and enjoying a well-deserved break at some point this summer. Um, And thank you for listening as always. Thanks very much.